Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to another Square Mile Murder Halloween bonus episode. Ooh. Ooh. Every time. That's my only <laughs> spooky sound effect. In one of the ones that I edited this weekend, I couldn't tell you which one, one of them, I did insert the sound of a door creaking. Nice. So the listeners at home have either already heard that or have something to look forward to, <laughs> depending <laughs> on which one it was, because I don't fucking remember. <laughs> Today, you got, y'all got to listen to me again. So sorry, because uh, I'm going to tell you the story of a still unsolved mystery that has stumped everyone, and I do mean pretty much everyone, for nearly 50 years. <laughs> um, today we're talking about the Circleville letter writer. Nice. Do you know this one? I have heard of it. Yeah. I have listened to a podcast about it, but I can't remember the details. It's just kind of, it's floating around in the back of my mind, filing cabinet somewhere. Yeah. It's one of those for fucking sure. How? Spider bite? Mm-mm. No, I don't know where the spider went. <laughs> it's just chilling somewhere. Yeah, update, I have a giant spider in my house. Yeah. Actually, we have lots of giant spiders in the house. It's just this one is in the room I am in. Yeah, it was terrifying. Y'all it wasn't that bad. Y'all weren't here for that, but like it is, it is you bad. You mean when I put it, the webcam up to it? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't enjoy that. I don't like spiders. Like They're fine. They're cool. They serve great purposes in the world but like they need to not uh be near me basically will it make you feel better if i tell you that when it ventures downstairs when it wanders into the same room as my cat it will probably be you know become a snack that does, does that make you feel better that does make me feel better i'm you know good, it's just a circle of life good good for you max i'm proud <sighs> and that it was spider eaten, chat. <laughs> it, yeah, it's eaten all the flies in, in the house, you know, to fulfill this purpose. It's probably laid a thousand eggs in my hair or something. Oh, okay. We need and to then, stop. <laughs> and now it will become a snack for a cat. Uh, and the cycle will continue. Nope. Okay. That's it. That's the episode. A thousand spider eggs. We're done. Goodbye, everyone. I need to go take a shower in, like, bleach. Happy <sighs> Halloween. Bleh. <sighs> okay. So, moving well away from that topic <laughs> towards another creepy topic, but not quite as terrifying for me anyway. So, in 1976, several people in Circleville, Ohio, started getting weird letters in the mail, which is not what you want in the mail. I get weird letters all the time. They're called bills. Oh, yeah. Well, these were slightly weirder than that. <laughs> I mean, that joke doesn't really work in this century because nobody sends bills. They just uh, send angry emails. Yeah. Or just direct debits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so these letters were po- all postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, which is near Circleville. And all of the letters contained information about the recipients' personal lives, which is definitely weird, for sure, but, like, could have just been a prank, you know? And mm. um, we talked about that a little bit um, in the, like, The Watcher episode, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's weird, but it could be a prank. What happened next was a little bit more sinister and strange. Can I just say to all our listeners, if you're not curled up with a blanket and some sweets, you are missing out. <laughs> I've prepared for today. I've got my blanket. I've got some pick and mix sweets. And I'm very much enjoying myself. But I, I have thought to... I'd, I'd add that in. But I have to edit out chewing on your track. <laughs> if it comes to editing time and you do, I expect some sort of reparations just gonna say that right now (laughs) you just silenced my whole track (laughs) there you go (laughs) cat listens to my story and doesn't comment at all (laughs) now everyone's gonna know you're lying (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true everyone who's ever met me (laughs) lying Oh, God. All right. Um, Bus driver Mary Gillespie was on the receiving end of one of these letters. Uh, The letter she received accused her of having an affair with the school superintendent, Gordon Massey. And that letter also told her that she needed to stay away from him. Uh, The letter read, In... So they're handwritten in all capital block letters. That's when you know someone's angry. Yeah, yeah. and it, Like, it doesn't take any effort to just hit caps lock. <laughs> when it's handwritten, you it's, know it's, they're it's, angry. Yeah, yeah. And, like, there's tons of pictures of letters online. We'll, I'll put some links to some of them. But, like, basically the handwriting, it looks like someone's tried to disguise their handwriting and that like it's all very square like just simple block letters so Mm -hmm. yeah so this letter to mary gillespie read stay away from massey don't lie when questioned about knowing him i know where you live i've been observing your house and know you have children this is no joke please take it serious Everyone concerned has been notified, and everything will be over soon. Wait, I'm sorry, I've got one point to make, right? Yeah. If you've sent someone a letter, obviously you know where they live. (laughs) That is true. Uh, According to Mary Gillespie, she was not having an affair with Gordon Massey, so she couldn't stop said affair. So soon, Mary's husband, Ron, also received a letter telling him to put a stop to his wife's affair. (laughs) Obviously. I mean, yeah, because all husbands have control over their wives' affairs. Yeah. And at at this point, so when Mary got the first letter, she didn't tell anyone about it. She was just like, the fuck? And then just kind of went about her life. So yeah, so Ron gets a letter. The letter he got. Um, threatened him and said he needed to tell the school board about the affair 
or the letter writer would kill him. Okay, so what? Uh, why would the school board... I think it's because she was a bus driver and he was the superintendent. But, like... Like... It's weird. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. When I was at school, sense. the teachers were having more affairs than the pupils. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, so... And it was not a hidden fact. Like, it was a known <laughs> fact. It was, like, not even well disguised. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had a few of those when I was growing up, too. <sighs> anyway. Um, yeah, so apparently the, the letter writer was like, you need to tell the school board. That's that's who needs to know about this misdeed. Um, mm -hmm. And, but yeah, like, we've quite escalated from, like, stay away from this guy or I'm going to tell on you to, like, get your wife to stay away from this guy or I'll kill you. Yeah, it is, a, you know, just a little bit. Just a little bit of an escalation. A little bit higher stakes there. <laughs> Slightly. Um, so, naturally, Ron asked Mary what the frilly heck was going on. And uh, she told him about her letter and also denied the affair. <laughs> what the frilly heck. I love that saying. I've never heard that saying. I don't know where I first heard it, but the second I did, I was like, this is this is the best phrase I've ever heard in my life and ever will. So <laughs> I use it every chance I get. Um, yeah, so she's like, I'm not having an affair. But yeah, I got a weird letter, too. So they decided to try just staying quiet about the letters and hoped that the writer would stop. So that's definitely possible but it didn't work uh because they quickly received more and more threatening letters one said that if mary didn't end her affair the writer would expose the affair on billboards and other communication methods including cb radios <laughs> which is a choice it is 1976 fair enough that that just just ages everything yeah yeah. Ron and Mary were like, oh my god, this is a lot. So they decided to seek help, but not from the police. Uh, instead, they told Ron's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul Freshour, about the harassing letters. During this conversation, Mary told everyone she thought she knew who was writing the letters. She thought it was David Longberry, another bus driver she had once turned down for a date. So the four of them decided they would write a letter to Longberry and tell him they knew he was the one writing the letters and that he needed to stop. Now, this approach... That is a hell of a grudge. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like... And it being sat on for a long time, clearly. Yeah, definitely. They were like, it's gotta be him. So they sent him a letter and was like... They were like, shut up, how dare you? Stop it. Mm. And that worked for a while. Um, the letters stopped arriving, but Mary and Ron started seeing signs pop up around Circleville, making obscene claims about their 12-year-old daughter, Tracy. What were the claims? Sources vary and or, like, not widely reported information um, of 
about what was on the signs. I believe one of them was like accusing the 12 year old daughter of being romantically involved with the superintendent. So that's not a romantic relationship. Well, that's correct. pedophilia. Yes, correct. And so, but also I could only, that was only in one source. So I don't really know if that's like the upshot of all of them or what. But basically, it was like, not things you want to be said about your 12-year-old daughter. No. On signs. Posted all around town. Yeah. So, Ron would drive around town early every morning and take down any signs so that Tracy wouldn't see them on her way to school. Which is like, a really sweet dad thing to do. Yeah. In a terrible situation. <laughs> uh, but the signs kept appearing. And then the Gillespie's phone rang. It was August 19th, 1977. So at this point, this has been going on for a year. Yes. Yeah, at least. Um, yeah, so August 19th, 1977, Ron answered the phone. And the person on the other end said they were watching the Gillespie house and that they knew what Ron's truck looked like. Ron was furious, and he was also sure that he recognized the caller's voice. So he ran out the door to go confront the caller. But mm -hmm. before he left, he grabbed his gun. A few minutes later, Ron was found dead in his pickup truck. Whoops. He So literally minutes after he ran out the house. Minutes after. Uh, he had crashed into a tree, but the gun that he had taken with him had been fired at least once before he crashed, but the shot hadn't hit anyone, including himself, and nobody else was at the site of the crash. It was just him in the car or the truck. So he died from, like, injuries relating to the crash, nothing yeah. to do with the gun. Yeah, exactly. And even weirder, during the uh, ensuing investigation, the Pickaway County Sheriff, Dwight Radcliffe, couldn't even find a bullet casing at the scene. Interesting. Yeah. And investigators reported that Ron's blood alcohol level was 0.16, just twice the legal limit. So Radcliffe ultimately ruled Ron's death an accident, but his family and friends were very suspicious because Ron wasn't a heavy drinker. And when he left the house that day, he had seemed angry, definitely, but he wasn't drunk by all accounts. And like... Mm. I think they said, like, he hadn't, no one had seen him drinking either. So, that, yeah, so twice the legal limit. I know some people can hide it very well, but, but you at least show some sign. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, if he was sitting there knocking back drinks, someone else in the house would have noticed. Mm. Someone would have had, like, you'd already have to be drunk by the time the phone rang. Yes, exactly. Yes, so Ron's death ruled an accident. 
seemingly that was that. Uh, but the letters kept coming. Uh, this time, people all around town were getting the letters, alleging that Sheriff Radcliffe was covering up details of Ron's death. Uh, and the letter said that Mary and Gordon Massey were responsible for Ron's death. But still, nobody knew who the hell was writing these letters. Now, at this point, years have passed. People have continued their lives, but the letters just keep flying around. So this goes on for years. Ron's sister Karen and her husband Paul end up, ended up getting a divorce, and Mary let Karen move on to her property into a trailer for a while. Um, and it was at this point that Mary actually admitted to Karen that she had had an affair with Gordon Massey. But she said the affair had only started after the letters started arriving. Which is interesting. Mm. And some sources I found say that the affair didn't start until after Ron's death. But that part seems a little less clear. In that case, it's not an affair. Yeah, it's then, just is it? a. Yeah. Well, I think, although I think Massey was married or something. So. But on her part, that's not. Yes, an exactly. But yeah, so she <laughs> d does admit saying, like, yeah, I did have an affair, but like the letters happened first kind of thing. Mm. Then on February 7th, 1983. What? Eight, seven, eight years in? Yeah. It's fucking wild. Okay. Uh, so, February 7th, 1983, Mary was driving her bus on her usual route. She had apparently just dropped off, like, one group of kids and was headed back to the school to pick up another set. Um, and she saw a sign on the side of the road. And the sign was like the others that she'd seen, uh, and it can, it had some sort of lewd comment about her daughter, Tracy. This one, I don't think it's ever been reported what the sign actually said, so I don't know, but wasn't nice. Um, and, and by this point, she's like 19, 20. Yeah, she's older. So she spent her entire teenage years dealing with this bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I know this is talked about a lot now with, like, social media and revenge porn and things like that, and, like, you know, teenagers are more sexualized and, like, when we were teenagers mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, but to grow up, like, your entire teenage years seeing all these billboards about yourself. It's be fucking it's awful. awful. Absolutely awful. And, like, clearly... Her parents did the best they could to try to shield her from it. But, like, when you've got someone out to get your family and they're looping in the whole town in the process through letters and billboards and signs and shit, it's just, like... And it is it is a small town as well, it's, isn't it? Like, um, I don't know how big it was then. The current population is around, like, fourteen or 15,000, so potentially that's it's small smaller than my hometown <laughs> yeah it's small yeah that's like the size of the town that i grew up in and it it's a everyone knows everyone's business kind of town
I think because I think I know roughly what the population of the nearest town to me is because like our village is like a few hundred people. Mm. Um, the population of Whitby is thirteen thousand two hundred and thirteen, according to the twenty eleven census. So it's like ten years out, but we haven't got the new census results yet. But so yeah, fifty years ago. Very small, yeah. not nearly fifty years. <clears throat> yeah, just about. Um, um, so yeah, that that must have been rough, and yeah, understandably, Mary was fucking pissed when she saw this sign on her daily mm-hmm. route. So she pulled over, ripped the sign down along with this sort of makeshift post that had been holding it up. Uh, she put it in the bus. And went back to her job. Just kept driving. Later that evening at home, she took a closer look at the sign. And she realized that the sign was attached to a small box with a wire. <laughs> I remember this now. Yeah. yeah. Let me say, it's, it's, it's in the filing cabinet of my mind. Yep. But yeah, now I remember. Yep. So... Whoever had planted the sign had wanted her to rip down the sign, snagging the wire, which was then attached to the trigger of a small handgun inside the box. So basically, she would pull down the sign and the gun would go off and shoot her. But it hadn't worked, thankfully for her. So the sheriff and investigators tried to trace the gun's owner, but the serial number had been filed off. Uh, But eventually they did manage to recover enough of the number to discover that the gun belonged to none other than Paul Freshour, Mary's ex-brother-in-law. So that's Karen's ex-husband. That's Karen's ex-husband. Yeah, which was quite surprising to both Mary and the investigators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little bit weird. Fresh Hour, for his part, claimed innocence and said that the gun had been stolen or possibly had just like disappeared at some point before it had been discovered on the side of the road. And he didn't know when. Which, like, to which I say, if you own a gun... Just check up on Just it once check, in a while. Like, and also, if it disappears, don't just be like, oh, that's fine. Guns do that. They just disappear. No, they don't. Like, mm. it, that's a problem that you need to now deal with. So. Yeah, because, like, you could be completely innocent and then be like, something happened. Like, a crime happens involving your gun that's been stolen. You're like... Oh, yeah, it got stolen a while ago. Nobody believes you, mate. Right? Like, that looks suspicious now, Paul. Mm. Figure it out. So, yeah. Um, He was brought in for questioning. He's like, no, I didn't do it. While he was at the sheriff's station? Something. Sheriff something. Sheriff building. Um, Law enforcement building. Yeah. 
Uh, the sheriff had him copy one of the letters to do a handwriting analysis. And according to uh, Fresh Hour, the sheriff told him to, like, try to copy the, like, style of the letters. Which <laughs> is not how you're supposed to do handwriting analyses. No. No. Um, so that's a thing. However, off the back of this copying session, handwriting experts concluded that Paul's writing matched the writing on 391 of the letters and 103 of the postcards sent to the Gillespie's and other Circleville residents. That is one busy writer. Right? That's so fucking, that's 400 letters. And it's like 500, no, 500 pieces of correspondence. How do you, like, like, how do you keep thinking of things to say? I was just going to say that. You'd, you'd run out of things after you've, like... Like five. This is also, this is not even counting all the signs. So, like, yeah. Lord only knows how many of those there were. Just, like, it's wild to me, the sheer magnitude of this. Um, But, yeah. And, like, should be said, obviously now we know that handwriting analysis is pretty much bullshit. Junk. And especially if the sheriff was like, here, do your very darndest to copy this letter. That's weird. So this finding, I don't take a lot of stock in, but... um, Yeah, I think... Like, it's, like now we know that handwriting analysis is essentially a junk science. Yeah. It can, I suppose, it does have its uses in some situations, but yeah. it's not definitive proof by any means. Exactly, and like, I mean, there's certainly something to be said for like, I mean, you could totally do it with my handwriting. Like, I write certain letters certain ways, and so you could say, "Oh, this F looks like my F," you know. But if someone sat me down and said, try to copy someone else's handwriting, A, I don't think I could do it very well because I got shit handwriting and I, it like, wouldn't look like my writing. My handwriting changes literally one day to the next. Mm -hmm. From one day to the next, am I in a rush? Am I writing on a solid surface? Uh, what kind of paper am I writing on? Is it a notebook where there's lots of padding? Is it a piece of paper on a table? Yeah. You know. Well, and like... My, my handwriting changes so often. Mine does too. And it really depends on like the speed at which I write. And I actually, when I was a teenager, consciously changed my handwriting. Like, I mm -hmm. was told by one of my teachers in high school, like, I can't fucking read your handwriting, basically. And so I spent like a year really consciously like changing the way I handwrote things. And so like my handwriting from ages 15 to 16 looks totally different from ages, <laughs> you know, 17, 18 and, all, and beyond. So it's all I kind of subjective. Yeah, and I think everyone at some point in their teenage years changes their handwriting in one way or another. Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. Handwriting science is junk. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, 
they didn't seem to know that at the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office. Now, along with this sort of dubious handwriting evidence, it was also found that Paul had taken a day off work on February 7th, the same day that Mary had found the booby trap. Which is like, well, a little bit bit weird, considering it was his gun, but like also could be a coincidence. Yeah, coincidences do happen. Yeah. So basically, the sheriff's office was going off of it was his gun. He took the day off and this handwriting match, supposed match. So he was indicted by a grand jury in March 1983, and his trial happened in October of 1983. The trial lasted for one week, and the jury only took two and a half hours to find him guilty of attempted murder using a firearm. And he was sentenced to 25 years. So, with Paul Freshour behind bars, you would think that that would be the end of the mystery. But the letters kept coming, even while Freshour was in prison. And boy, did the prison try to determine if Freshour was sending the letters from behind bars. Like, Apparently, every time he had a visitor, they would search the visitor. Every time after the visit was over, they would, like, strip search him to make sure he didn't have, like, letters hidden anywhere. Ultimately, they concluded it could not have been him sending the letters, because several letters were delivered to people while he was in solitary confinement. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all the letters still had Columbus postmarks, and the prison that he was in was on the other side of Ohio. So that was also strange. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could go down the theory of it was an accomplice. You could. Who did the writing and who posted the letters. But then... But... And you get into overthinking Well, things. exactly. And it's like, so it could be that, like, he capital- capitalized on this letter thing to, like, try to kill Mary Gillespie or whatever. But also, why? And then hmm. it could be that he has someone else on the outside sending letters for him while he's on the inside. But then, apparently, like, they cut off all his communication. Like, there was no way he could be mm. communicating with anybody to send letters. And then he even got a letter himself after the... Oh. Yeah, this is, you know, he's finally in on the, in on the game. Um, <laughs> he received the letter after the pol- parole board denied him an early release. And the letter included the following. Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? Like, okay. Mm. I just, I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah, that's like, also, that's plural. We set Yes, up. we. Yeah. And also, like, who else have you set up? And also, who spoke, like... It, my thing is also, 
I told you two years ago. So that to me, that indicates like either there was correspondence. Yeah. Either there's yeah. other letters or like they, yeah, they talk to each other or something. So like, ah, mm. don't know. <sighs> um, Paul Freshour was released from prison in 1994. So he spent like 11, 11 years, years for attempted murder using a firearm is not a bad sentence. Yeah. And apparently he was like a model prisoner, was never in trouble. Um, he always maintained his innocence. Um, he died in 2012. What is interesting is that he, in the intervening period of time between his release from prison and then his death, he spent a bunch of time basically trying to solve this case. Like, supposedly, mm. that's what he said he was wanting to do. Um, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Uh, so, yeah, he died in 2012. In 2021, uh, CBS's 48 Hours had former FBI profile... <sighs> had former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole and forensic document expert Beverly East examine the letters and the case. Uh, O'Toole said she didn't think Fresh Hour was the letter writer because his personality didn't fit the controlling, vindictive profile of the letter writer. But... East said that the way Freshour wrote the letter G matched up to several of the Circleville letters. Oh, gee. Well, <laughs> why didn't you say? The G means everything. Golly. Like, I'm sure we have very different handwriting styles, and I'm sure there'll be one letter that will be or number that will be similar. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so they were like, it's not him, but it's him. But what was interesting, and is maybe the strangest part of this, is that 48 Hours identified Fresh Hours' fingerprints on some of the letters that were sent while he was in prison, even though it was determined that he hadn't sent them at the time. So I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the episode, but it's weird. What you can have is people's fingerprints. I mean... If it's someone you're in close contact with... Yes. You can harvest and plant their fingerprints. Well, uh, it's shown in, like, every, like, police procedural drama, crime drama, anything like that. Somebody plants... some Like, fingerprints can be planted. Yeah. Um, I just had another thought, which, again... I'll come back to it in a second. Um, yeah. So police consider the case closed. Like, they're like, no, it was ball fresh hour. Don't worry about it. Um, sorry, I didn't write in here. The letters stopped <laughs> eventually. They, like, petered out. <laughs> um, like, I think while he was in prison. Okay. Um, but yes, they did stop eventually, for the most part. Um, so yeah, police considered the case closed, and they're often criticized for not following up on one lead that popped up when Mary Gillespie found the booby-trapped sign. Uh, 
So a bus driver before her on the same route saw a man in a yellow Camino by the side of the road right around the same spot earlier in the day. Now, when he saw that the bus was coming, he turned away from the road and pretended to be peeing, which made the other bus driver think he was trying to not be identified. And interestingly, supposedly, Karen Freshour had been dating a man who drove a similar car at the time. Now, Mm. yeah. So this could tie into a theory in this case that Karen framed her ex-husband, Paul, for the crimes after a bitter divorce and apparently abuse on Paul's part during their marriage. But it does seem weird that she'd risk killing Mary Gillespie in the process when the two of them seem to be friends and also Mary let her live on her property and all this stuff. So, also, that still doesn't solve the original point. Like, yeah, she could capitalize on this yes. to frame her ex husband, yeah. but where did it start? Yes, exactly. Like, why? Why the letters at all? Um, now, others believe. The letters were sent by William Massey, Gordon Massey's son. So, and apparently some of the letters looked like they were signed with a W, the letter Mm -hmm. W. So they're like, oh, it must be William Massey. And he was like mad about the connection and or affair between his dad and this other lady. Do you know how old the son was when this started? Mm, I don't know. I think he was a teenager. Because if, like, you're a teenager and maybe you see one of your parents being, you know, quote-unquote close yeah. or something with another person, you think there's someone there, maybe you, like, think there's got something going on, like, that is the reaction of a teenager oh, yeah. is to write threatening letters. Like, threatening yeah, notes. totally. So... Like, that's, a te- that's how a teenager's brain thinks, like processes and don't think of like the long-term implications of things yeah, like that exactly um but to then carry on yeah for well over a decade yeah and like and if that's the case would he really go to the lengths of like attempted murder or is that just something else that happened to get connected to the like did someone else do that like does it could be a copycat? Yeah. Like the first ones could, you know, have been something to do with this supposed mm-hmm. affair between um, Massey and Mary Gillespie, and then it turned into like a copycat. Yeah, situation. Exactly. People like using that way to like settle scores or air dirty laundry. Yeah, honestly. In public, you know. Just like, oh, hey, this is what we're doing as a town now. Everybody get your letters out. (laughs) Well, think of like, I know it's fiction, obviously, but like, the. I hate myself for saying this, but like Gossip Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's one theory. Gordon Massey's son. Some people believe that Mary Gillespie 
sent the letters herself. But the thing that hinges there is that, like, she would have to be a stone-cold sociopath to write that shit about her daughter. Yeah. And then the phone calls. Yep. That then led to her husband's death. And, like, it's... For someone to be carrying out something like this themselves to make themselves look like the victim like this is like that's like next level machinations it's Mm. that's really 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 twisted (laughs) it kind of seems like we're not really gonna know for sure no um and as is evidenced by the fact that we're talking about it right now the case <laughs> remains the sus- uh, the subject of much fascination, even today. Mm. And, you know, 48 Hours is putting out episodes about it this year. Um, one of the first shows that it was featured on was Unsolved Mysteries. And... Like the original. Yeah, we're talking like Robert Stack hosted Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> You can watch the whole episode on, well, there's two versions. So the Robert Stack edition of it was, I think it's on like Daily Motion or something. It's it's somewhere online. You can watch the whole thing. There's also like an updated episode with Dennis Farina hosting. <laughs> so like, we've got it all. But... It originally aired in 1994, um, I believe right after Paul Freshour was released from prison. And I just pulled up the Unsolved Mysteries wiki to see when the episode uh, originally aired. And then I something mm-hmm. caught my eye in the paragraph above, and it said, Paul Freshour had a solid alibi at the time that oh. the man in the yellow El Camino was seen by the side of the road. Which was not in all of the sources that I read. <laughs> so. I just googled Circleville Les Unsolved Mysteries. There's a load of um, results for YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so. I'll put in both versions of the episode into the show links also at least one of them there's a segment about champ the lake champlain lake monster which i like because it's from vermont it's awesome um and something like there there's some good other stories in these episodes too um but yeah, so in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Paul Freshour is like the main guy that gets investigated or interviewed. Oh. So he's like all over it and is like, yeah, dudes, it was not me. <laughs> and hmm. has like, yeah, he spent 
all of his free time after he was released from prison trying to solve it. Um, Which, like, I don't blame him if... If if he really didn't do it, then yeah. Like, your life has been taken over by this. Um, Hmm. Now, also on this uh, Unsolved Mysteries wiki, it says, Although not mentioned in the segment... Paul allegedly admitted to Sheriff Radcliffe that he had written between 40 and 50 of the Circleville letters, which is interesting. But it does seem like there's a lot of questions about this Sheriff Radcliffe fellow and his his yeah. um, integrity. But if there's like almost 500, you know, letters and postcards and things, yeah. 40 is a small percentage. It is. Yes, that's true. And that adds to my thoughts that possibly there is like a copycat or there it's just become like just a thing that a everyone thing. does. It's just the way that people has people have just decided that's how they're going to air their grievances yeah. with yeah, each other. No, I could totally see that. Um now, interestingly enough, during the production of this unsolved mysteries episode in 1994, the production team received their own letter. And it read, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you L sickos will pay. Signed the Circleville writer. I think that's a hoax. <laughs> Because the 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 language is nothing like the others. Yeah, it's a bit different. But I just love the phrase "you l sickles, you l will, sickles pay. will pay." Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Also weird that it mentions Sheriff Radcliffe. Like, don't look at the sheriff. Just like don't. Just like that's you're making it more suspicious, guy. What are you doing? What if it was him to start with? I've thought about that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's the story of the Circleville letter writer, the death of Ron Gillespie, the imprisonment of Paul Freshour. It's so weird. And I don't know what to think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go in this kind of conspiracy theory. Because if letters were being sent while Paul Freshour was in prison, when he's like in solitary and he physically cannot be sending yeah. them, firstly, how, like, why the finger, his fingerprints on the letters, but there's got to be somebody else involved. Yeah. Oh, I remembered what I was going to say about the fingerprints. If he, Mm -hmm. after he got out of prison, then sort of like spent a shit ton of time trying to solve this case, including during the Unsolved Mysteries episode, which the early Unsolved Mysteries episodes were, (laughs) so they prided themselves on using like the actual people to do reenactments of crimes, which is... A bit fucked when you think about it now, but what 
None of that sounds healthy. What they also tended to do was they would use the actual evidence in filming. So, like, I've listened Mm. to a podcast about a case where, like, they used a pair of glasses that were found at the scene during filming. And then in the process of production, that evidence was lost. So, like, I, I wonder if during the filming of the episode, they were like, here, Paul, look at these letters. And then he touched them. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah, now you say that, that does make sense. And I have heard that about the early, like, Unsolved Mysteries. It was, it was kind of a <laughs> Wild West <laughs> situation, Which, I think. Like, I, I don't understand that because they're unsolved cases. Yes. Shouldn't exactly. you be preserving evidence in case? <laughs> be careful. The whole, the whole point of having them, having all these Unsolved Mysteries appear on this tv show in the most part was to try and solve mysteries to try to get more information about them you know it they thought it was the the bus driver guy Mm -hmm. and the letters stopped for a while yeah but then billboards popped up so could it have been that guy originally and then then being a, a copycat could like it be someone who you know, I mean, okay, so the daughter's 12, it's unlikely that it's a classmate is going to that yeah. extreme, like putting up billboards, but... Yeah. Kids are creative when they want to be mean. That's true. That is true. But yeah, yeah like... Just, like, And the thing, the fact that it, like, went on for so long from the point... I mean, like, the... I guess the real sort of like there's two different chunks of this. There's like 76 and 77 Mm. up until Ron Gillespie dies. Yeah. And then there's 77 to like 83. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting is that they're all postmarked in Columbus. Yeah. So no Columbus is close to Circleville. Yeah. And there was probably a lot of people that commuted. Yeah. But was Paul Freshour one of those people? I wonder. Don't or like no. Oh yeah, and he Paul Freshour was was never actually charged with writing the or sending the the letters. Mm. Just the attempted murder. Yes, yeah, so that's obviously linked to the signs. And I mean if you want to go that deep into it, well, did he have anything to do with the letters or the signs, or did he just use that sign as an opportunity because he knew Mary would see it on her bus route? Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, whoever wanted to frame him. If you want to go down that route. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's the thing. There's so many fucking... Mm. There's just so much. And then, yeah, and the letters stopped. So... Just don't know. I want to know. <laughs> so this this was in the, the mid-70s that started. So Yeah. That's 45 years ago. Yeah. Um so even like the Gillespie's daughter 
She's going to be in her late 50s now. Yeah. So, and like, Paul Freshour has now died. Don't know about anyone else. Involved. I don't know about anyone else. I know that like, when Unsolved Mysteries was coming around in like 1994, Mary Gillespie didn't talk to them. Like, so I don't, I think she's kind of like, been like, I'm done with this shit, which fair enough. Which, yeah. I don't think we're ever going to find out. No, like it was. And it just seems like probably investigations weren't carried out exactly the way they should have been. Mm. Obviously, like the sheriff having him copy the, the letter that way and and like it does seem like the sheriff there was something that I read that was like, initially the sheriff was like, oh yeah, Ron Gillespie's death was foul play. And then all of a sudden he was like, no, it's an accident. Yeah. And like small town policing in yeah. the 70s. The, firstly, the standard of policing is nothing like it is today. The technology is totally different and the resources are totally different as well. Yeah. And like, add on also, to that that there seems to be a very suspicious sheriff yeah heading up all that and also like it's it's the pickaway county sheriff's department so it's a, it's for the whole county like mm. it's not just this one town um so like they probably didn't have a lot of resources and they were probably doing a lot of other shit too and they probably weren't used yeah. to having cases like this so, yeah, I don't think we'll yeah. know, but that certainly hasn't stopped people from trying to figure it out. So, uh, who do you think did it? <sighs> or is it, do you think it's someone we don't know? I don't know. I think it's probably a combination of people. Mm. Like, I, I feel like Paul Freshour was involved. But I don't know in which part. Mm. And well, well, he did admit to writing some of the letters, so. Well, in theory, yes, allegedly. But that's coming from the sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know. What do you think? I don't know. I think. I think the gun. Mm hmm. Attached to the sign, I think, is a completely separate yeah. incident to the letters and the billboard. I think it was op that I think was opportunistic. Yeah. Um. <sighs> also, just you saying that makes me think that like that's a quite a different kind of crime. Like the 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 truck crash for Ron Gillespie. That could totally also be, like, menacing that causes an accident. Mm. But trying to booby trap, shoot someone. That, yeah. Is super different than writing threatening letters. Yeah. It's a very different, it's, it's a very different kind of mentality, crime, everything. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I agree with that. Just, like, I feel like... <laughs> We're going round in circles. We are. We're like, 
But this is what happens with these kinds of cases. You just spin out and out and out and out until you're so lost that it's like, how? and How did we get here? And why and what? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> so, yeah. I guess we should turn it over to you guys and yeah. say, what the fuck is happening? Can you help us, please? <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, let us know. If you've heard other stuff, because there has been so much stuff written about this case, so many TV shows mm -hmm. and all the kind of things have covered it. So if you've heard something that I missed, let me know, because I'm this one's going to I'm going to keep reading about it, even though we've done it now. It's so, going to live in your mind forever. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. It's definitely. So, yeah, I would love to hear anyone else's theories. Um if you've watched the Unsolved Mysteries episodes, <laughs> how do you feel about them? I I haven't watched all of it because I, I started to watch it at night, but it was the like really intense, like creepy crime TV music. And I was like, <laughs> I can't deal with this at like 11 p.m. I need to stop. <laughs> but yeah, and I guess all we can really say is you better rate and review this podcast or you L sickos will pay. <laughs> That's it. That's just That's the end it. of the episode. That's it. That's the show. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> well, uh, I will see you all tomorrow. Yes. For a regular episode. Yes. We will. Um, thanks for listening. Taylor, ignore Taylor's threats. It's fine. We love you L sickos so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>